0: podcast dedicated to in-depth discussion of K-pop. I'm your host, Stephen Knight. Scott Interonte is not joining us this episode, which is bad timing on his part because today we're discussing the K-pop industry with our guest Suzanne Choi. Some of you may know Suzanne as the winner of the Quincy Jones Scholarship Award that was presented at KCON LA last year. Suzanne is a Berklee School of Music graduate. She's an award-winning composer. She's a performer, and we're very glad to have her on the show. Suzanne, Thank you for joining us.
1: Hi. Uh, thank you so much for having me on your show.
0: Yeah, it's great to have you. So, Suzanne, let's start with the basics. Do you go by Choi or Che?
1: If I'm speaking Korean, then I will say Che. But if I'm speaking to like a um, person who doesn't really know Korean, then I would just go by Choi.
0: All right. Good enough. So, as I said in the introduction, some people may remember you as the recipient of the Quincy Jones Award mm-hmm. last summer at KCON LA. what uh, What is that award all about? That's a pretty impressive sounding award.
1: So Quincy Jones Scholarship is not the scholarship that you would apply. It's granted for the students, um, Korean students, who were the recipient of the CJ scholarships. And Quincy Jones would go over the portfolio of the recipients of CJ scholarship and then would choose one or two students based on their composition portfolio oh great yeah
0: I know that Michael Jackson obviously is huge in, I was going to say Korea, but he's huge everywhere. Do people recognize Quincy Jones in Korea?
1: Yeah, of course, of course. They they love his work.
0: Now, it seems like I, I get the impression that he has some interest in Korean pop music. Is that true?
1: I think so. He's actually a very good friend of um, Mickey Lee, who is the vice president of CJ Entertainment. Interesting. Yeah, so she and him was like the best friend. So I heard that she actually requested Quincy Jones to do the scholarship.
0: So before you moved to the U.S. and and studied at Berkeley, you attended Seoul Music High School. Mm
1: -hmm. What
0: what was that like? Mm
1: -hmm. It actually is a very, very cool school. Our school is just focused on music, so that's why I majored jazz piano and a lot of students would come to our school to become a professional singer or professional musician. So actually a lot of, not a lot of, but a few celebrities um, went to our school, uh, like Jonghyun from Shiny and Zico. In block B.
0: That's cool. did, did a lot of your classmates have aspirations to uh to do that kind of thing?
1: Yeah, yeah. They um a lot of them actually debuted, but they yeah, they weren't famous at the time. So after like one year of like debut they would just fade away. So sad.
0: Yeah, we actually talked about that in one of our earlier episodes. It's amazing how many groups debut every year and then disband.
1: I know, it's so crazy.
0: So did you ever think about pursuing the K-pop idol career path?
1: My teachers always encouraged me to become one, one of the idol group, but I've never really interested in performing in a lot of people. And I was always an introverted kid um, who just wants to compose my own thing. So that really didn't work out for me. so my teacher actually dragged me to go to some company that she knew. And then she would introduce me to her friend, which uh, who is uh, like a CEO from like entertainment group. Yeah. And he would just look at me and say, oh, you need to fix your eyes and you <laughs> need to go through some plastic surgery. And then, oh, I would be some kind of product in here. And then didn't really work out for me because I uh, wanted to be more of a musician, not more of a performer that I could like always have to think about what I would look like in front of everyone. So, yeah. But I think like a lot of people, I really understand what they are trying to become.
0: Yeah. You understand the appeal of it, why they wanted to? Yes, be- yes, yes. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to me how mm-hmm. naive sometimes people are who get into that industry.
1: I know. Yes. The
0: odds are so stacked against you.
1: Yeah. It is so hard. Yeah. Even from like YG, like JYP and SM from all those like major groups are like, you know, there are so much competitions going on worldwide these days. So yeah. It's hard it's still hard for them. It is. Yeah.
0: So, you worked at a, with an indie label for a while?
1: Yes, um, yeah, I did work for an indie music label in Korea. I got signed as a singer-songwriter after graduating my high school. That was in 2011. So, after finishing my first semester at Berkeley, I had to come back to Korea to work on my debut album, which actually never happened.
0: So, what was the timeline there? Were you auditioning like when you were in high school and graduating from high school?
1: Yeah, so I actually auditioned. So there are a lot of indie music labels. They wouldn't really do additions because they're not big enough to hold that audition, you know? Mm. Many people wouldn't apply for it. But the indie music label that I worked on was a pretty big, relatively big indie music label. So I went to the website and just recorded myself in a voice message or something yeah and then i just sent it to them and they liked it so i was very very surprised because i never sang to anyone else i was just a girl who would just compose music in piano practice room so that was very surprising for me as well and then they called me and oh come for an interview so i went there and then the week later i was signed
0: wow and this is the first label that you contacted
1: yeah the first con yeah
0: Wow, that's quite a success rate, yeah.
1: 100%. Yeah, so that was kind of a huge thing for me as well. I thought I'm going to be, oh, I'm going to be a singer-songwriter and I'm going to like make a lot of albums.
0: Now we hear all about these these awful contracts that people are forced to sign. Were there were there issues about the contract that they wanted you to sign?
1: Yeah, um, actually, I still have my contract going on right now. <laughs> I, I try. I'm trying to like break it every year. I'm like trying to contact them every year. Can you fix this? Can I like, break this? And they wouldn't let me. So it's basically my contract actually starts when I make my debut album. It's after my debut album for five years. It's five years after I released my debut album. So it never started. Yeah. So actually I can't like just break the contract. Yeah. Because it doesn't really make sense, but they were like threatening and then like, you know,
0: that's awful. What happened with your debut album? The plan was for you to put one out fairly soon.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's why I came right after my first semester at Berkeley. I would just work on my debut album. But they, I don't know, it was very weird. I was the only one who auditioned for that company. There were a lot of established musicians at the time, and what they would do is contact musicians individually. Oh, hey, I like your song, I like your music, do you want to you know, like have a contract with our label, stuff like that, but I didn't have any credentials before then, so they want to establish my musical identity. That's what happened, okay, but I auditioned with my songs, so I thought they would like my songs and keep my identity, but they wanted me to have um a different producer who was completely different kind of music. So it didn't really work out for me.
0: Now, did they want you to write your own songs and just work with this producer? Or did, were they just going to give you the song?
1: They were just going to give the song. Yeah. And the, yeah, the contract was weird, too. They would just bring, like, two girls to me. And then, oh, this is your group now. And, like, oh, I was contracted as a solo artist. This is weird. So, they're like, you're gonna write a song, and these songs gonna, like, sing with you. But the two girls were so, so prettier than me. (laughs) So, like, oh, am I gonna be, like, the most unappealing girl who just composes the music, (laughs) you know? And I was very upset at that time.
0: Wow. So how far did this album go? I mean, were there actually songs chosen and some recordings made? or
1: No, we really didn't go anywhere because I was—I didn't really think it was the right thing to do. I mean, I trusted them so much because there were a lot of um, indie musicians, like singer-songwriters that I really liked on this label. So that's why, oh, this label does really care about music. Huh. Because I was the youngest there at that time. I was only 18. And a lot of indie musicians start as like 26 or 25, something like that. It's very different from all the K-pop idol groups. Mm -hmm. So they, I think they were just trying to shape me as they like. And they wanted to do some kind of bubbly kind of like pop music. Um, I don't know, they will attract some K-pop fans, I guess. But my music wasn't that kind of style and I was very offended. And Like, oh, I thought you guys would like my music, but now you want to change me after I contracted with you guys. So, yeah, that didn't really work out for me.
0: And it sounds like this was also a different style from what they had done with their other artists before?
1: Um, They have a successful artist name. Yozo at the time. And then she, when I got in, when I got, when I got my contract there, um, she left. So she, they needed some kind of girl artists who would bring that bubbly kind of mood to their label, I guess, because she was very popular.
0: So how would you describe your style? I know you write jazz and all sorts of things, but as far as pop music
1: mm-hmm. I listen to a lot of down-tempo electronic music mm-hmm. like um, moderate John Hopkins very glitchy and very electronic music it's not EDM it's actually like IDM
0: Let me take a step back and ask you about indie Korean music. You know, indie music can mean different things to different people. What do you think of when you talk about the indie music scene?
1: I think in Korea, indie music label would just mean not like major labels. You know what I mean? It's not for K-pop idol music, like K-pop dance music.
0: Now, you said something about the financial struggles that indie K-pop labels have sometimes. Mm -hmm. Even major labels have problems making money off of just the music.
1: Yeah, of course. A
0: lot of the money that they make is from promotions, commercials, acting, and things outside of music. You know, the music is almost promotion for the other (laughs) services Mm -hmm. they can provide. I really wonder how an indie label that really is focused on music and making money off music, what is their business model? I
1: think most of indie music artists, they would perform five days in one week. Mm I think that's how they make money. And Korea is such a small country that you don't, you can't really tour Korea. You know what I mean? So they would just perform as much as they can. That's how they make money. That's small money. Yeah. I'm, I've never seen any indie music artists would just do music. They would just do two jobs or three jobs. Some people would work full-time jobs in office and they would make music.
0: Yeah. Well, we talked a little bit online about the K-pop industry and how K-pop is getting more internationally focused.
1: Yes, yes. So it was very interesting to me when I was, so I was born and raised in Korea before college. So I would just watch... The edition show in Korea and there were a lot of Korean Americans or Korean Japanese who are like second generation kids and they would come up in a show and they want to become a singer in this country. And then I always wonder why don't they want to just work in America? There's a huge market there, you know? Now, I now understand how hard that is to, if like, Asian singer wants to do R&B music, that's not really gonna work here, you know?
0: Yeah, not yet.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I know. So, a lot of people, even though they were born and raised in United States, they would still want to come to Korea because it's easier for them to work there. And now, K-pop is marketing to a worldwide nation, so they would want to have someone who is fluent for another language like it's um especially Korean Americans yeah. so they actually prefer to have non Koreans who is fluent for other language especially a lot of composers especially Europeans are good at like dance music electronic music they would prefer to use a lot of composers living in Western countries.
0: That's interesting about the foreign composers because, Uh you know, it does seem like, especially certain labels, SM has a lot of Swedish and other European producers. What do you think explains that?
1: I think they bring a unique sound, to be honest. They are more experimental, and I think Korean listeners are not i used to hearing all that experimental music.
0: Yeah, you know, to me it seems that mainstream pop music in Korea is a lot more open to unusual experimental sounds than mainstream pop music in America, top 40.
1: Yeah, I think, I think it's true.
0: Now, maybe you can help me out with this because you've written and recorded music mm-hmm. and composed and so on. If you look at some of the songs that come out Like the song that I want to talk about toward the end of the show, Rookie by Red Velvet. You look at the credits on that. There's a Korean writer, which is presumably the lyrics. Mm
1: -hmm. Yes.
0: Arrangement is by the colleagues, as they tell you at the start of the song. Mm -hmm. And there are seven people credited as composers.
1: Yes. (laughs) Yeah.
0: How can you have producers? I mean, I can understand the lyrics. And seven composers working on one song.
1: Yeah, I know that's crazy. I actually don't really know how they collaborate together. With seven people, I guess bringing a lot of people to write one song actually brings a lot of ideas, right? Yeah. So they would meet or like Skype, and they would come up with some top line. My friend in Korea, he was in a JYP. He was a composer there. Mm -hmm. I mean, he left, so he's not working there anymore. But, like he would tell me how, like they're trying to bring more composers there not in Korea, but not location wise but they would talk to each other and bring some ideas, and like they would compose their own on a track, and they would send electronically and listen to their ideas and bring what's what fits the best. so, I think that's really creative thing to do. I think that's why k pop sounds very unique especially a lot of people from different worlds work together.
0: Well, let me ask you, you worked in the indie music scene and you're, you're into a certain subgenre of electronic music, I guess it's fair to say, but you have listened to K-pop. What are some of your favorite K-pop artists?
1: I like FX <laughs> and Shiny for their harmony. They bring a lot of harmonies together, and I think it's very experimental they bring something we've never heard so that's why i really like them
0: yeah it seems that sm has chosen fx and shiny as the groups that it gives its more interesting experimental songs to.
1: yeah totally and now
0: i guess red velvet is taking over for fx yeah i have to agree with you on those those are two of my favorite groups for sure At the end of the show, we like to talk about what we call our K-Pop Unmuted Picks. That's where we choose a song that we've been thinking about. Maybe a recent song. It might not be. Is there a song that comes to mind?
1: Uh, I think I loved um, Luna's Free Somebody last year. Oh, yeah. And then I really loved the Pink Tape album. That's like four years ago. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it still sounds so good to me.
0: Yeah. Do you think there's an unappreciated track off that album that uh, that people might want to go back and listen to?
1: Oh, I liked Airplane and Shadow.
0: Yeah, those are great.
1: And I also like FX Jet from Electric Shock oh yeah yeah <laughs> and sweet witches from the first album from them
0: oh i love that song i actually got to meet luna and amber at kcon in 2013 wow i don't think luna understood what i said but i told her i loved her part in that in sweet witches
1: i know it's so cute <laughs> Yeah, maybe we should put that on <laughs>
0: Well, the song that I've been thinking about recently, and we talked about it a little before, is Red Velvet's Rookie, and I'm actually glad that I have you on this show when I'm talking about Rookie, because I have a theory, and I want you to tell me if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. When I first listened to it when it first came out. I hadn't heard anybody seen anybody's reaction to it. Of course, first thing I did was play the music video. What jumps out at you as a native English speaker is the pronunciation of rookie, right?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, obviously, somewhere in between Rookie and lucky but it sounds sounds like looky licky. I mean, as an international K-pop fan... Yeah. If you're going to get hung up on English pronunciation, you're not going to go very far. So, I didn't think a lot about it, but I saw a lot of comments online and heard people talking about it in podcasts and so on, and they made some good points. Like, for example, the name of the group is Red Velvet. Yeah. Their single before this was Russian Roulette. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were no pronunciation issues. They did fine with Russian Roulette and Red Velvet, and, of course, Wendy's a native English. English. English speaker. Yeah. Was there something to this? People had theories that maybe it was supposed to have a double meaning, rookie and lucky, or, you know, there must have been some reason that it had that pronunciation since Red Velvet could have sung it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I have no idea, actually.
0: Oh, I'm glad to hear that because I have an idea. Oh. So my theory is that rookie is a word that is so commonly used in Korea and especially in music and Mm K-pop that it's become a loan word. Mm. It's not just an English word. It's also a Korean word now.
1: Yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah. Yeah. We say rookie. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, you know, when they sing Russian roulette, Mm -hmm. that's English. When they're singing rookie, they're not singing English. They're saying the Korean word rookie.
1: Yeah, you're right. You're right.
0: Oh, I love to hear that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they're saying rookie, not rookie. Yeah.
0: Right. The whole song is just a ton of fun. But, you know, you have after the intro, a very aggressive start of the song where you have the, the sort of sing, talk, chanty part. And then you get to the pre-chorus and it just calms down and the backing track is is less busy. And you hear this very nice singing, you know, right before they jump back into this chorus that kind of comes at you yeah. again. And, you know, I thought it was interesting that instead of a lot of times the pre-chorus will build up the tension. That, yeah, but in yeah. this song, it's almost the opposite. You know, the the verses are so busy that it's sort of a deep breath before you jump back into that crazy chorus although the rhythm section you know still keeps pumping along underneath there if you listen it doesn't lose its energy
1: i'll have to listen it again i actually um listen right before i talk to you so
0: what's well, it's one of those songs don't listen to it more than two or three times unless you want to just hear it in your dream
1: <laughs> okay <laughs>
0: lot of fun to have you on the show where can people find out more about you if they want to see what you've been up to or listen to some of the music that you've written and recorded
1: oh you can visit my website it's com. (laughs) and thank you so much for inviting me
0: oh yeah it's been really great talking to you now, If you want to follow the show on Twitter, we are at k Unmuted. I'm at Tennessee Appeal and Scott is at Scott Interonte. We have a Facebook page, K-Pop Unmuted. And of course, if you're not subscribed, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, please leave a review. We've gotten some very interesting and uh, nice reviews recently. So check those out and leave one yourself. And we'll talk to you next time.